Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the digital campus of Newark UPC. I am Stephen, and I am so glad that you are with us tonight. This past week has been a week of replays, and so this is, I think, this week our first live broadcast. And so welcome back, everybody. I apologize in advance if my video pixelates some. Hopefully my voice comes through clear. I am actually ending one of my focus weeks in Williamsburg, Virginia. And so anyway, I don't have control of all of the Wi-Fi speed that I'm used to at home. It's good to see everybody online and also those of you that will join us later, not live. And uh, we're excited to have our guests on tonight. Before we go to that, let me mention to all of you, do not miss Sunday night's broadcast. You do not want to miss it. Absolutely, unequivocally, there is news coming. And you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. All right. And so with that said, I um, also want to mention to you that uh, this will be our last Friday night with friends. Now, some of you immediately are going, what? What does that mean? Well, that's why you don't want to miss the broadcast Sunday night. Do not miss Sunday night, 7 o'clock, our broadcast. And uh, be sure to do that. If you're a guest with us, if this is your first time with us, we welcome you. You can find out more about us at NewarkUPC.info. Again, that's NewarkUPC.info. And uh, we're glad that you're here. All right, I'm going to add in our guests. I'm very excited to have them with us. And, uh, oh, we don't need you to be the small picture. We need you to be the big picture. Come on now. Here we go. There we go. This couple right here are my youth president. Now, some years have transpired since then on both sides of this equation. <laughs> right. But this is my youth president, Jim and Jelaine Lumpkin. And uh, there's there are so many stories. So I, I want to get out of the way with two real quick stories, and then we're going to turn to our actual topic tonight. So the first is, is that I am forever indebted. You all have heard me talk about how important my dad and my mom are in my life informing me as a person. And then right alongside of them was a man and a woman named Marvin and Claudette Walker, who were the directors of Bible quizzing. Well, what you all don't realize, and I doubt I've said it, is that in addition to my dad, my dad took me in the Salt Lake Conference, Salt Lake City Conference. He took me to watch some Bible quizzing and asked me whether I liked it. And that's how I started. But what you don't realize is in the year 1985, Bible quizzing got a fresh start in our district under the oversight of this couple, and specifically under the oversight of Jim Lumpkin, my youth president. And I am forever indebted. I remember sitting in our fellowship hall and you quiz mastering that first quiz. I had no idea what was going on with quizzing, and I watched the first two teams. And if anybody's watching that was from that era, I apologize. This is going to sound horrible. But I remember watching those first two teams quiz. And slowly a grin spread across my face because I realized I can dominate this. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you thought that. Uh, and immediately I was off to the races. And so for a number of years, he was our, he was, it was under the youth department, obviously. And he was our youth president. In fact, I think for several years, you were our quiz master as well. If I remember correctly, you I remember you at least the first year you quiz mastered our, all of our tournaments. Yeah. Yep. Now, I got to tell you another thing about this man, though, is that he was not who I really, really liked. Brother Lumpkin tended to be a little bit more serious, 
The person that I really liked was his wife. She was the coolest thing I had ever seen. And what topped the cake on this was one time at a district conference that was hosted at their church. It would have been when I was 16 because it's actually when I first felt the anointing. I, Brother Becton was in as our speaker and he asked me to testify. And when I testified, anointing fell. Well, at that conference, I don't know why. I don't know what you were doing, Sister Julaine, but you took me in the car with you. We went and ran an errand. And we're coming down a hill that was curvy. You probably even know which road it is and what I'm talking about. It was towards where your house was. And I was blown away. He was driving a Honda, I think. If I remember correctly, you had a Honda that had a stick. She had coffee in one hand. She's shifting gears with her right hand. She's driving with her right knee, and I don't for the life of me know how in heaven's name she did it, but she's somehow popping the clutch and handling the brake at the same time. And I'm sitting there as a 16-year-old watching her do this, and I'm like, that's one cool lady. (laughs) (laughs) And you never told my husband. Thank you. (laughs) No, I didn't. I didn't tell him until years later, but I have a feeling feeling he already knew that you were a crazy driver. (laughs) She still is. I absolutely, I believe that. And probably moving to New Jersey probably didn't help anything at all because we all know Jersey drivers are, they take the cake, them in New York. So anyway, so I've kind of given an introduction. You were youth president, you pastored, founded and pastored a church in West Orange for a number of years before uh, family and calling and all of that took you back to Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, But what I'd like to explore tonight with you all, we've had a number of guests on. Uh, as we've been on our digital campus, our campus has been shut down both due to COVID and then we had damage to our campus uh, in July of last year. And so we basically were re-renovating the whole thing. And it's a, shh, don't tell anybody because it's going to come out on Sunday night, but it's about to end. Anyway, the point is, is that every Friday night we have interviewed a guest and we take different themes and look at different things. And uh, the last several Friday night with friends have kind of hit a theme. And this one is as well, which is exploring the backstories of people as they have followed the direction of God to go and do something that's kind of out of the ordinary, that's not what you would expect. Now, I know a little bit of this backstory, but I don't know all of it. If I remember correctly, Jelaine, you are from Indianapolis, Indiana. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. And Jim, obviously your dad spent time in St. Louis, a number of different places, but you have roots in Arkansas. Yes. So how does an Arkansas boy and an Indiana girl, obviously you met, you're married, etc. How do you end up in New Jersey? How do you end up in North Jersey starting a church? God loved us. <laughs> we had favor. Well, we tell us a little. Tell us a little bit about the backstory. So, where did that come from? Did you all graduate Bible school and say we're going to go start a church in North Jersey? No, no, we did graduate from ABI in 1972. That's where we met. That was the year I was born. Just so we have clarity, that was the year I was born. Okay, and uh, we settled in Arkansas. And uh, our son was born in, in, in Fort Smith. No, I'm sorry, in Plano, Texas. We 
We spent a year in Plano where Mickey and Anthony Mangan were pastoring at the time. It's where Trey was born, our son. And then we moved back to uh, Fort Smith. And um, at some point, and it's, and I'm going to be honest here, it's a little tough for me to talk about all this. So just. I know it is. So uh, at some point there, not too long after we were married, we went, I went to a general conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and went to, uh, back then they used to have a home missions banquet. And I attended that with a friend of mine, Dennis Granger, whose father pastored across town from uh, my dad's church in Fort Smith. And we went to that banquet and Chester Wright was the speaker. Yep. And Nothing about that. I get that. He, uh, he is not then and he wouldn't be now your run-of-the-mill banquet speaker. <laughs> um, and he began to talk about the East Coast and the need for churches. Um, and I think something was planted in my spirit at that banquet. And so a few years later, and I was asking Jelaine, we can't remember what year it was, but the church in Fort Smith, Northside, where my dad pastored, we hosted a seminar. They don't have them anymore, at least they're not named this, but it was called a, a uh, Christmas for Christ training seminar. And our church was the host for that. And we had uh, missionaries come in that were getting ready to go start churches. Tell you the truth, I can't even remember who our home missions director was at headquarters at that time. I think it might have been Brother Yance. And I was just very impacted at that conference. I was working a job. I had my own business. Um, but I remember sitting in the choir and Charles Grisham, who has since passed away, but he was on the staff at headquarters and he preached a message one night. And talked about planting a church. And the way he talked about it, the way he presented it. I knew um, someday I want to do that. I, I, I want to be a part of one of those stories. And I could even have it mixed up, Stephen, whether the banquet was before or after we hosted that conference. But um, we were working and ministering in, in, in different areas of ministry and in Fort Smith, and we moved to Alexander, Louisiana, and the thought was to save some money, get a good job, and 
put some money away to fulfill this desire to plant a church. And we did move there. We didn't save a whole lot of money. It's all we could do to keep our head above water, just providing for our own family. But the year that we spent there, uh, I, I decided to make a trip to the East Coast with Jelaine. We started in New York and went down the coast. I think as far as we got before we ran out of money and had to go home was North Carolina. And we would stop in those states and look around. If possible, we would meet with the home missions director or pastors that we knew and just kind of explored. We knew we wanted to go to the East Coast because we really felt directed to go where they needed churches. And that doesn't mean we don't need churches in every district and in every state. But for Pentecostalism, it seemed like the East Coast was a new frontier. And Jim, let me, interrupt, let me interrupt you for one second and ask a question. How old were yeah. you at this point when you moved to Alexandria, you travel up and down the East Coast, how old were you? About 31 or 32. Yeah, we were in our early 30s. Um, one of the first people that we met was your father. And well, no, we first people we met was Brother Hazlip, yeah. who was the home missions director. He pastors in he pastored in Trenton. And we met him and he took us around. And then we went to Annapolis and talked with Brother Wright. We ended up going to North Carolina and staying a day or two with uh, yeah. no, with uh oh. Foster? Yeah, with Foster. Mark Foster, who had started a church uh, there. And then we ended up back in back in Alexandria. And as we reflected on where we had been, it just seemed to us like, and I think the statistics would have borne it out at that time, the district in the state with the biggest need for churches was New Jersey and especially North Jersey. And so we decided that's where we wanted to go. And um, I put in an application to try to get support. I had no pastoral experience, but thank the Lord. They approved our application, and we we got financial support from Christmas for Christ, and um, we ended up ended up loading up a travel trailer, and we didn't even know where we would land. I made a trip to New Jersey uh, uh, just to look for an apartment. Brother Hazlett picked me up at the airport and we looked around for a couple of days and never could find anything affordable. 
I wasn't used to the prices on the East Coast. And um, I left it up to him to find us an apartment. And he found us an apartment in West Orange. I'd never been there till we pulled up in the travel trailer. Our first stop when we got to town was a White Castle. That was on our budget. Yeah. And uh, then we made it to the apartment. And, um, and that's a story. <laughs> and that was quite a story, too. So, well, before, before we go to that story, let me ask you a couple of questions about this process. So you've talked about a banquet. You've talked about um, a service. You've talked about people with a burden. You've talked about you exploring that burden. Did you ever hear an audible voice from God? No. Did you, as you traveled up and down and as you chose New Jersey, did you have a clear finger pointing at Jersey or was it more just, I know it's the East coast and this makes sense. It was kind of that we knew it was going to be the East coast, but we didn't know where, but when we studied a little bit, the demographics, the need for churches, uh, it was, a uh, it was very clear to us that, that we were to go somewhere where there just was a real need for churches. And North Jersey, to me at that time, and I think it's probably true today as well, all these years later, that uh, North New Jersey needed desperately needed churches. Um, I remember we would drive up and down the streets of um, Newark, West Orange, and Orange, and look at the houses. And I remember we talked about it later there was just a connection in that area. We both felt it. Um, when we got back home, we prayed, fasted, and we both came up with that area at the same time and without discussing it. Um, we just fell, actually fell in love with West Orange, Orange area, right outside of Newark, and still have a um, place for Mars for them. Jelaine, let me ask you to explore with us a little bit. What was this like for you? Were you at the same banquet? Did you hear the same speakers? Or was this journey a little bit different for you as you're walking with your husband, obviously fairly early on in your marriage? I mean, you would only been married less than a decade, it sounds like. Right, yeah. You know what? Um, he's the one who really felt the call to do that. And when he talked to me about it, I was very open to it. Um, and it had no question in my mind whatsoever, no fear. Back then, there and maybe still today a lot, just no fear to start out into that. And going up there, we had a five-year-old son, and a lot of people were saying, don't go there, you're gonna take a family there, and you've got a five-year-old child. Uh, I had no fear at all. I knew God was in control, we felt that, and I was excited, I was elated when we finally decided that's what we were going to do. It was it was like, um, for me, it was like we weren't going to be cookie cutter or anything. We were going to get to go and explore all the things we've been taught and watch God do it in our lives. And that, to me, was such a thrill to prove God, improve his word, and then watch it happen. There was nothing more exciting to me than that right there. It And I've got journals. I've got it written down in journals. i got it. Ton of journals on it from day one, so it's just 
never questioned it. Never. Did, Still you, did you feel fear, Jim? No. Um, if you'll allow another little story here. Um, first of all, for people that don't know, North Jersey is where the major part of the population is. Uh, it's just basically New York Metro, um, West Orange, and Orange is just outside of Newark. And um, we were coming from uh, Alexandria, which is a small town. But we had both lived in large towns, but nothing like the East Coast. Uh, the diversity, the, uh, the different cultures, all of that was new to us. Um, but no, as far as the fear is concerned, it's just like, I don't know, just uh, young enough and didn't even know you were supposed, you know, maybe that was supposed to be a logical thing that was going to happen. But when I made the trip back out there, I flew out there to find the apartment. When I was flying over the city, I came in at night, flew into, I think, the Newark airport, or the Hazlip was picking me up. And that's when the fear started. Um, it's just like, you know, you asked me a while ago, did God audibly speak about going out there? No but it almost seemed like Satan audibly spoke when I was on that airplane and I was looking out over, I guess the hundreds of square miles of nothing but people. And this was the thought that I had, are you really going to leave? Uh, the comfort and the security and the fellowship of a place like Alexandria, Louisiana, with all of the churches, and you're going to move your family here and a five-year-old son here. And that happened on the plane, and it continued the whole time we were looking for apartment. I must have been there three or four days with Brother Hazlitt. <clears throat> and and I ended up calling back to Fort Smith where B.J. Thomas was the pastor of the church that my dad had pastored. And I said, Brother Thomas, I really need you to pray for me. I can't find a place. And I just, I don't know what to do. And I've just got all kind of questions. And the fear didn't, didn't leave until I got on the plane and I went back. And it, I, I've told people it was just a last-ditch effort of the enemy to try to keep us from doing what God had called us to do. I never had fear before that. I never had any fear after that. And we faced what every pastor does, situations on a personal level and church and starting a church. We, 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 not anything unusual, but you always go through some things, but there was never fear. Never fear. Never fear. There was never talk about leaving. There was never talk about let's try this and see how we do at it. It was just like what we felt like it was a move, our, our last move in ministry. So you pull up in front of the apartment. Tell us about that. 
it was a two family house and we were getting the second floor and we had our furniture and it was a very narrow staircase with a couple of turns and there was no way to get the furniture up there no way in the world and so we literally had to get ropes and tie onto the furniture the bigger pieces like sofa and tables and beds and we had to lift those up by ropes to the second floor there was a little sitting area screened in area on the second floor and we took the windows out there and the screens out there and lifted the furniture up um and i had some help i had uh bob mcfarland was starting a church in elizabeth and he showed up to help us Granger's. dennis granger and his wife came up from starting a church they were starting a church in baltimore and then i did Perry state i don't I don't know I about that, but what about Enloe? I don't know if I knew Calvin Enloe by then, but anyway, I had some help and we got it done. So that was a little different, a little challenging. And the police pulled up and were doing all this. And I've got our son who was only five and he was blonde, blonde, blonde. And the policeman pulled in and he goes, ma'am, are you all moving in or out? And I said, we're moving in. We're starting a church. We're so excited to be here. We're from the South. Da, da, da. And he said, Ma'am, people are moving out of this neighborhood, not in. And I said, well, God's moved us in. So it was kind of a humorous moment. <laughs> yes. 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 So what was your first step in starting? <clears throat> well, I don't remember. Jelaine's got the journals, but. I don't remember how long it was till we first started having services in our apartment. But we, somehow or another, a lady from Louisiana that was living out there, she'd been out there for many years, married somebody from the East, Willa DeGroat. Mm -hmm. How's that for picking up go. a name? And uh, somehow or another, she found out we were coming. And uh, she contacted us. And she was in another area. She was up around Lake Capacon. How's that? And um, she would drive down, which was probably 30 or 45 minutes, and met us in our apartment. And so we first just started having a little devotion with her um, in our apartment. And from there, we just started making connections with people in the area it just so happened we didn't know this when we moved there but there were pentecostals in the area uh that had moved from diana and jamaica and had and even some people from puerto this was later but we met some people that had moved from puerto rico who had got family had got in the church in maryland and so you know, God just, Stephen, God just began to connect us with people. It, I, I wish I could say, you know, it was this or it was that, but we just started trying to connect with people, teaching Bible studies, and um, 
and meeting people. And we, we continued to meet in that, the second floor of that apartment, our landlords downstairs were very friendly at first uh, and helpful. But um, the longer we were there and the more people that began to go up their stairs and into church, uh, we began to wear on their nerves a little bit. Well, I had an English bulldog at the time, and I would teach Sunday school in the kitchen with the gate across the kitchen from the little living area. And me and that English bulldog would try and hold Sunday school with however many kids would show up. And so, I mean, it was really getting pretty crowded in there. And I'd have five or six kids and then it would get up to eight or nine kids in that little kitchen area with a bulldog. So they weren't really excited about all of that on top of them down below. And then in the living room, we would, we ended up having probably as many as 35 or 40 up there. And um, we had connected with a couple that was actually from West Orange, but he had got in the church up in going to college when he was up in Boston at Brother mm-hmm. That's right. Stanford. Stanford. Brother Stanford's Stanford. Church. And <laughs> he uh, he began to help us look for a place to have church. And we ended up, our first place was the Green Mountain Club, which We'd have to clean up the beer cans before we had church. And we hadn't hardly been there a week or two. And, and we couldn't use the bathrooms. What? They wouldn't let us use the restroom. Oh, really? I don't remember that. <laughs> but anyway, we had an outside picnic in the front yard. And when this, when the members of this private men's club, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, some kind of a, it was just a meeting place. It wasn't a gentleman's Mason, club or anything Mason, like that, but Mason, it was. Mason. Anyway, when they saw the different cultures of our church and that we were in their very white neighborhood with all of these people out in the front yard of this club, um, their members began to contact the president and we were asked to leave. And we went from there to the uh, Trinity, Holy Trinity Episcopal Church, where that district conference was, where you attended a year or two later. Yeah, and I, re- I remember, I remember that district conference. I remember you were kind of in the bottom level, the first level of that church. Is that correct? Yeah, they had kind of a fellowship hall that wasn't part of their church building itself. Right. Yep. Yeah, I re- I remember that because, like I said, it was that was the first moment I ever felt what I would call anointing when Brother Becton in that district conference asked me to stand and just testify. I I don't even know why he did that, and and as I testified, I felt what I now know, looking back, was anointing. That was in your was in your place. Was that um, Cleveland Becton or Ron? No, it was Cleveland Becton. C.M. Okay. Becton. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that actually, that district conference along with several others is where, cause dad is district secretary. What you all don't know is that Jim mentioned several names. Um, there were three guys up there that were rabble rousers. They were just slightly younger than my dad <laughs> and, uh, they were, they were out to set the world on fire. He named them, um, himself as one, brother McFarlane was another Calvin Enloe was another. And so my dad, I don't even know why he was, 
in that role because he's barely older than you. He's only about a decade older than you. Uh, well, 13 years older than you. But anyway, he would try to wrangle these guys to keep them from burning the house down, so to speak. Because yes, they, were, so so they were ready to set the world on fire. <laughs> so I remember, but there were several of those meetings that Brother Beckton came in. And, and I don't know if you know this, Jim, but he became very at very key points in my life was very involved in, in, in our family and that through that, cause I would ride with dad as he is district secretary would pick brother Becton up. And so I would get, so it's probably that, that he asked me to testify. Um, yeah. And I remember meeting some of your people. You had an extremely diverse congregation, which is a reflection of that community. I remember meeting one lady who was an undercover cop. That was an interesting as I heard some of her story yeah. and uh, meeting people where they're at as they grow in their discipleship and being faithful to them and caring for them. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, what's interesting to me is I, I last, not last week, but the week, no, it was last week. No, it wasn't. It was the week before. Um, I interviewed Donnie Willis, who's pastoring in Westchester, New York and another Louisiana boy. And listening, he's the butter man. If you've seen all the press about him, the guy that was in the Macy's Day Parade, etc. And there's this common theme that keeps showing up as we're kind of turning to where folks can ask you questions. God is not as concerned, it seems, with skill as he is with availability. Right. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yes, I do. I agree. And so I wonder, and that this is where I kind of feel this theme across several of our Friday Night with Friends. I wonder if as we as a church do gain in skill, skill's not a bad thing. We can put it into Christ. But I wonder if what happens is, is we don't move the marker on people to suddenly, well, you can't start until this or you can't do this until that. And that's why I like stories like this, because it, it doesn't sound like you had a clue what to do. I happen to know, being an East Coast boy, you didn't have a clue what to do culturally. <laughs> yeah. You do now, having lived there. Um, but you didn't have a clue when you moved in. Not a foggy idea what was going on. Nope. It didn't matter. It didn't matter your age. It really didn't matter the experience you'd picked up in Plano or in Arkansas or even in Alexandria. What mattered more was the availability. And so in some ways, I want the audience that's listening to this to understand that whether it's a call to start a church or whether it's a call to witness to your neighbor or whether it's a call to go serve in a, in a homeless shelter or whatever God places in your life of a burden, your availability is way more important than your capability. And I'm not saying we don't prepare. Right. But I think we've sometimes flipped that a little bit and we don't, we won't move until we're prepared. And God kind of says, I've got this. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to walk with me? Yeah, I, I agree. I think all the time that you spend under ministry from people that were around in church and all that. I think sometimes we think, like you said, well, wait till I'm more qualified. I think if you're spending time in church, you're receiving the word, you spend time alone with God every day and you prepare yourself that way. We're probably more prepared than we realize. 
And so we keep wanting God to prove himself. He's not until you make the first step and then you watch him prove himself. So he's yep. waiting a whole lot of the time on us and that's not waiting on him. So that's we've been involved in ministry at the, at the various churches, grew up in this, heard a lot of great preachers growing up. And so really God we had prepared us. We just didn't, we had to step out in faith and trust and watch God do it. And that way for me, Stephen, it was God getting the glory and not flesh. Because if Absolutely. I got to get all the all the what I think it is that I need to go, I'm, the doors may never open up. So you step out, and God qualifies you once you step out. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't know until you try what you're capable of doing. But you got to just try. You've got to. And I had enough direction just from a banquet. And listening to Brother Grisham, I had, and all of that was, was good information, and I learned some things, but it was what was put in my heart and something I had to act on. I, I had to act on it. And once the decision was made, we just went for it. Let me add, as we're turning the questions, and I want to turn this portion over to Caleb, my son. Um, Jim and Jelaine are now pastoring in Little Rock, Arkansas, and what took them back there was family. And um, and the reason that if you haven't picked up on it, there's some emotion that surfaces with each of them. And I knew that I was asking my youth presidents to go back into some painful areas Is is that that family needs, those various needs that took them back to Little Rock, took them away from something that to this day is extremely emotional for them, which is North Jersey. They fell in love with the East Coast. I've often said people who come from elsewhere to the East Coast, they either run screaming away from it or they fall in love with it. There's no middle ground. You either fall in love with it or you run away screaming and say, never take me back there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jim and Jelaine have fallen in love with the East Coast. And I, I do know that at very key points, God has used them as they have been faithful in service within Arkansas, um, that their burden and their passion for the East Coast has surfaced in many areas, some that I know about and some that I'm not even aware of, because not everybody knows this story. Not everybody knows this passion. Not everybody knows this because they don't they don't dredge this up. We are privileged tonight for them to talk about this because they don't dredge this up easily because it's painful. It hurts because um, God will ask us to do things that are not what we planned. I mean, that's that's part of the deal. He'll anoint things. He's a adjustable God. And um, and so there, there's that. All right, Caleb. Let's see. Does our audience have some questions? I do have a couple. So one question that came in was, or did you baptize people when you were in the Episcopal Church? <laughs> Good, question. Good question. And further, where did you baptize people when you were in your house? Let's take both of those. Well, um, when we were still meeting in our, in the house, I think we, you know, we would um, 
go to other churches. I went down to Brother In-Laws quite a bit and baptized people. Yep. I even went to New York City uh, where Daniel, anyway, the 92nd Street Church, I baptized people there. And then when we um, got Holy Trinity Episcopal Church, we bought a, a uh, plastic or a rubber horse tank and I had a small pickup and the first couple of times we filled it up at our house and <laughs> sloshed water all the way from Mount Pleasant Avenue down to Orange. <laughs> and then, because uh, we wanted warm water, and then we ended up just keeping it at Holy Trinity, and they, uh, they, they would allow us to put it out and fill it up. All right, Caleb, we got some others. No. I see the question. Then you had a job while starting the church, correct? Where did you work? Okay. I had financial support from uh, Christmas for Christ funds. Back then, I think it was $1,200 a month. And our apartment believe this or not, we got that apartment at the beginning for $250 a month. Um, so you really, back then you weren't supposed to work a job. They gave you all that money so you could be full time. But I did work a little bit part time uh, with Bob McFarland. He was an electrician. I would help him. He would go into New York City and do contracting with different companies and I would help him. And then we had some financial support from our, from our church in Fort Smith that would send us uh, a monthly offering. It just, it kind of fluctuated. We also got help from Mike and Gloria Tuminello sure that would give us a percentage of their uh, <clears throat> missions budget every month. And that went up and down. And, um, Anyway, so I, I never worked full-time. I did some part-time stuff, but we gave uh, full-time effort to the church. You know what the, the amazing thing I learned, Caleb, is that sometimes you think when you go off to these places, these big churches, they're really going to support you. It wasn't. It was the little bitty other home missions churches or other little bitty groups or couples who would send us the money monthly for the Hobbs. Yes, for the Hobbs. Who's little still alive? He had a small here church here in Arkansas, yep. and we came through Arkansas on our way with the trailer, and we got up at, I guess it was camp meeting or the district conference, and and they sent us off with their prayers, and took up an offering which helped us pay for the truck to get out there, but old brother Hobbs would send us fifteen dollars a month. Yeah. For several years. Yeah. You and never know where the money is coming from. But there again, it was just exciting to watch God use willing people. You never know. And that was that was a God thing for us to watch God do that. I loved it. Our son received the Holy Ghost in New Jersey. We had a special service with Mickey and Anthony at a... What building was that? Some kind of a VW. I don't know. 
VFW club, and uh, he got prayed through the Holy Ghost in that rally. It's kind of like a rally we had yeah. at some other kind of facility where we can seat more people. Do we still and have daughter was born in Jersey? Is that correct? Yep, she's a new Brandy was born there. Yeah, she was in Livingston. Yep. Yeah. Yes, we do have still have connections with people. Um, man, with the first what ten or fifteen years we were here, we they would contact us a lot, uh, which made it hard on us um, <clears throat> to break ties. We weren't trying to break ties with them because we weren't there, so there was a threat. But they, but they were so connected. When you start a church, birthing a church, you win people, they're connected to you for life. You take an inherited group or people who go from church to church, they're not connected to you for life. But new, believe, new people you went off the streets, they'll, they'll stay with you, and you can build a great foundation with us. So yes, they still contact us. We're still very much connected with about, I don't know how many, several families still that contact us, yes. And still call us pastor. Uh, another question. As your church planted, did you choose to homeschool your son or did he attend a school in the community? He, he attended in the community. We have found a Christian school that they would ride on a motorcycle, if you can believe that, in New Jersey. They attended a, uh, he took him in the 25 morning. 25 miles away. It'd be like an hour there and an hour back home and then an hour to go pick him up and an hour back home. But it was a Christian school. It's a good Christian school back at the time. Yeah, it was a good school. So we, we, we did that. And that is the last of the questions. So if y'all have anything. Is that the last question, Caleb? Yep. So if y'all have any other story, if you have any dirt on dad, feel free to share. <laughs> have any dirt on oh god uh well i do want to say before this is over that stephen's father is a great man and had a great influence on me he was mr steady uh, when we decided to leave and come back to Arkansas, of course, I had talked to my father, but the first person that I counseled with was James Beardsley. And I have the utmost respect for the Beardsley family. Always have, and I always will. Um, Great, great. I actually, remember, I actually remember when you came down to counsel with dad. I happened to be on the church property because I remember I wasn't, I, I, I remember you going in the office and talking with him. And then I remember you leaving and I, I could sense something was up, but I didn't know what was up. And of course, later, you know, it unfolded as you headed back to Arkansas on that. But I, I remember that. And uh, I don't think he was a, a happy camper. He didn't make me feel bad, but um, he he really hated to see us leave. Absolutely. Yeah, my, da my dad's not Chester Wright, but he's not far off. Yeah. <laughs> he's Chester Wright, but more quiet about it. 
<laughs> my dad's my dad's passion for the East Coast is is absolutely it's absolutely there, and we all yeah. feel that. And and I and I would say that again to folks that even as circumstances and and walking with God, God God will deal with life circumstances with us. He's a faithful God in that. Yeah. Um, but even as that happened, I can tell you, Jim and Jelaine have remained allies of the East Coast, absolutely. and. Um, I've always, they've, they've always been very kind. It's been interesting growing up because, as I mentioned, he was my youth president. Of course, great age difference in the sense of at that time, it's not as great an age difference now. It doesn't, you know, it's literally I'm headed for 50. I'm 40, 49 this year. Wow. Um, and, you know, he was insistent at the beginning of the broadcast with Caleb and I that he was only 70, not 71. And uh, so, you know, it's it's barely 20 years. Well, 20 years at this point in life is not the same as 20 years back then. Right point. <laughs> and yeah. and this man and this lady have always as that transition has occurred, they have been very they're very humble people. They've been very kind and, and allowed my relationship to retain with them. And uh, I'm not going to embarrass them now, but let me just tell you. Jim and Jelaine are very connected people. If you are not a part of the Pentecostal circles, you don't necessarily know that, and I'm not going to burden you with it, but they could be very uppity if they wanted to be, and they never have been. And uh, I value and honor your family for that because, yes. And I will grant you that it's hard to stay uppity when you work in the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about our character out here. <laughs> I think to me, East Coast is a great kept secret. I really do. And you don't really realize what it offers until you go there and you live in it. And then it's like it just blossoms and you see it. But you let have me, to be there. Let me pipe in here. I think this, this question that my grandma just sent in is very relevant to this topic. Did you find people are pretty much the same, whether they're from Arkansas or New Jersey, in their <laughs> need for God and their devotion? So what's like the difference there? honest oh. <laughs> I think for me from my perspective um, I think the people on the East Coast had no clue about what to expect from Pentecost they didn't know what Pentecost was United Pentecostal Trinitarian they didn't know and when you presented truth to them we didn't have to hound on anything that we hound on in the South whether it was doctrine or to read the word or you need to be a primitive on the East Coast for us with the people that God brought our way. They were so hungry for change and wanted anything we offered. They just bought into it and we couldn't, we, we never required anything, but they wanted to know what else can we do? How, how much more can we give? How much? And it was that mentality that it's not that way everywhere because it's almost like if you give me a list of to do's and not to do's, that's what I go by. Not there. Not on the East Coast. They, they didn't need a list. They just showed, show me how to get closer to God. And then that was all they needed. So that, that for me was different. Yeah, the it's, Bible Belt, you know, it's hard to run into anybody that is not a member uh, of a church or they're a Christian or whatever. You just, you, you, you have to deal down here, I think, with more tradition. Yeah, more tradition denominational tradition 
Um, yeah. Of course, I think back when when we were there, New Jersey was. I want to say 80 or 90% Roman Catholic. Um, and we're not saying there's no tradition there, obviously, but the difference in, in that and being an apostolic is worlds apart where, you know, you run into people here that, yeah, we worship like that. We do that. You know, it's just, uh, <clears throat> It's just, yeah, I think it's much different. I think the need for God is the same, but yeah, the hunger level is not the same. I think the East Coast holds potential as the blueprint of how to reach the unchurched because that is more typically who you're going to reach. I don't have in Newark, I don't have a lot of church people moving in to come to church. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think there is, it's different. It's a different mode of ministry. But as, as the nation becomes more and more unchurched, as it becomes more, less and less, I would not even say Christian, because I don't think the nation's ever been Christian, but it was Christian influenced. Correct. As it becomes less and less Christian influenced, I think the goldmine of the East Coast is, how do you do it there? Because how you do it there will then work for the unchurched wherever it happens to be. As the nation becomes more and more and more unchurched, more and more pagan, more and more ungodly. Right. <laughs> but the hunger is still there. We all have that God-shaped hole within us. Right. Whether we know what it is or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jim and Jelaine, I thank you so much for coming on. I do know that this was emotional for you. So thank you for telling your story. And um, Jesus gives us a principle in the New Testament of planting seeds. And he says that if you'll plant that seed, you don't know what's going to happen, but great things can occur as that seed is planted. And I believe some of these stories um, are seeds being planted. And so thank you for partnering with us and uh sharing your story i know that it brings up emotion in that but thank you for doing it because i believe there's seeds and uh, i trust that as we're planting those seeds god will god will water that and 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 bring fruition out of that and it may be at a later point somebody will say on another broadcast or in another venue what started you on your path and the answer will go back not to a Christmas for Christ banquet or not necessarily to a Christmas for Christ seminar. But, you know, there was this couple that was on a broadcast and I sat and I listened to their story and something started in my heart. And uh, thank you for being a part of that. And to our audience, thank you for being a part of us. If you're watching this even after the it's live, uh, we welcome you to reach out to us, to contact us. This is a great couple. I honor them. If you're ever in Little Rock, be sure and go and uh, visit their church. They've been kind even since we ran a Bible quiz tournament out of their church. I knew where exactly where to call when it was time to do that. I don't know if I ever told you, but that was you were key to us winning the national championship because I pulled in all those teams <laughs> to scrimmage with us. And yeah. I couldn't get them to all go to certain places. So I found on the map what was equal distance to all of them that I was trying to get to. And it was Little Rock, and your church hosted us, let us scrimmage and work, and 
Anyway, so, we got a national got so, a national championship out of that. I met your church secretary. She's awesome. Big shout out to Diane. She she's takes care of me anytime that I'm trying to get a hold of Jim or Jelaine. They're like popcorn. You can't get them. They're popping everywhere. They're going all different directions. She always tracks it down. She's been very kind. So be sure and tell her thank you. Uh, she's always very good about that. And to the rest of you that are watching, thank you for joining us. Again, if you've got questions or you'd like to contact us or you want info, NewYorkUPC.info. And to the rest of our audience, don't miss Sunday night's broadcast. You don't want to miss it. There's info coming out about the campus, about it coming back to in-person services. You don't want to miss it. So don't miss it. Be there live. All Let's right. That is it. Love you. All right. Bye. Stay with me. Don't hang up. Don't hang up. The rest of you, good night. Have a good night.